0: If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter two, so that I can tell you why all of your money is worthless. And I... <laughs> um, we're going to be in, in this book together for for a good number of weeks this fall. Next week, uh, I won't be here. I'll be uh, preaching for Camp Ridgecrest Family Camp. Uh, Which is super fun and terrifying. So if you uh, think about it and pray for me, I talk five times about eight minutes a pop uh, for a crowd ranging from three to sixty-three. And uh, if I talk one minute longer, they will kill me. (laughs) Um, so, it's a lot of fun, other than the terror that I feel like every time I go up. So, uh, next week, uh, we're going to have Rachel Toon here preaching. She's the chaplain at Montreat College and a uh, teaching elder in our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. She is way smarter than me uh, and a fantastic preacher. She's going to bring the gospel uh, she was upset when I told her she had to do the book of Ecclesiastes. But she's asked me to preach so many times and given me, like, the worst chapter of whatever series they were doing. So, Rachel, I hope you hear this, and I'm laughing at you. Um, uh, I forgot to do this last thing. I tried or remember to do this before a series. Uh, I, um, I teach normally, and I teach college classes uh, in my own educational studies uh, citing the sources is really important to me and I don't get to just like have footnotes running throughout what I, what I'm saying. I try to make sure I tell you every time when I'm using other people's stuff and, and I generally do but I want you to know where I'm uh, getting some of my information if you ever want to look up too you can do that yourself. Uh, so I've got a commentary here from Craig Bartholomew which is great and then books uh, from David Gibson. Philip Reichen, Zach S. Wine, and Derek Kidner—that um, four little or smaller books on book the Book of Ecclesiastes—they're great. Uh, these folks and more are kind of underneath everything that, that I talk about. And again, I, I mentioned one of these one of these people last week. I try to be I try to be intentional about telling you um, when I'm specifically quoting from or borrowing from. Uh, them more explicitly, so you can check out those books, I think we'll try to find a place to put those online as resources for you, if you ever want to follow up on some of those things, of course I'm always listening to podcasts, I mean last week some of the stuff that I talked about, uh, comedian Louis C.K. talked about in an interview, I'm not commending Louis C.K. to you, it is very not Christian, just to be clear, but um, stuff like that is out there too, and informing, informing the way that I thought. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going we're gonna to read this whole chapter. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I got singers, men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expected in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more to gain in wisdom. Than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. for For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. There's also his vanity and striving after the wind. Then, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, your word, a word that strikes at all of us and our lives. God, we thank you for the ways in which your word wounds us, for we consider them to be the wounds of a faithful friend. God, we pray that our eyes would be opened and the grip on our life would be loosened, that we might turn all our, our lives, our strivings, and our pleasures over to you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your love for your people. Amen. Before I forget again, uh, we keep saying we want to remind everybody if you need it, upstairs there is a room uh, that has a live feed of this. If you have whatever, anti legs, anti children, whatever it need be, you can go upstairs. There's like 20 seats up there, a pretty large TV, and a a feed up there. So if you need it, it's upstairs. We've, We've stopped telling people, and we realize. Some people need to know that, so sorry about that. If you're like, that's what I was looking for last week when my kid was screaming at me. Uh, The the preacher, Kohelet, we've met last week, is the primary speaker in this book and is pursuing the the quest for meaning in his life. And the whole discussion is being framed at the beginning by the realization, the reality, the truth, that we're all going to die, uh, and we're all going to be forgotten, that we're going to live a life that we fill with all kinds of things, wisdom or folly, and if you go further far enough away from a point in history, everybody is just going to forget about whatever it is you did. So what is really the point? And... From that point of introduction, Kohelet then is is going to start this kind of examination. Okay, what, what possible ways can we maybe escape the logic of this universal end? How can we get away from the truth of our own death and find some meaning somewhere? And here, he's going to examine two areas of life that we as Americans uh, find central to who we are the pursuit of pleasure and the fulfillment we find in work. So Kohelet says, okay, step one, let's have fun. Let's see how having fun works in helping me to find meaning. And so he says, I drank a lot. He drank a lot of wine on purpose. You can hear him in the text saying, but I didn't give up wisdom. Now, how he sort of managed that differentiation, I don't particularly know. I'm sort of skeptical, but he pursued a life of pleasure in in drink, in feasting. And, And then he says, the list grows from there. Fine possessions, a nice place to live. He, because he's presented as a kind of philosopher king, he is able to acquire for himself slaves and to build large projects. And he says, all of that stuff I pursued. And it did not work It was vanity. It was, like we talked about last time, this word vanity in our text. It's referring to breath. It's just vapor. It's it's there like the fog you see in front of your face in a cool morning and then it's gone. That pleasure of these fine meals, these fine possessions, is fleeting, is going away. And then he talks about the work of his own hands, the toil in which he is engaged. He has been busy in the work of wisdom and pursuing wisdom, and he is busy doing all that a king should do. And what he says is, I don't really see the point with this stuff either. Because everything that I do, even if it unla- it outlasts me, is going to be passed on to somebody else. The, the person that I give it to, they're probably just some fool, a joker, who will waste everything that I give them. So what does it even really matter? If everything that I do and accumulate and build with all the labor of my whole life... I run to the end of the race. I hand the baton to an idiot. What is the point? He says, there, there is an point. You can hear the frustration of his quest. He outright says, I hated life. The, the, un, the unescapable nature of a life that seems to have no way around this hard stop of death for everyone, what is the point in all my pleasure having and all my work making? Now, we live in a place, in a time, in in a culture that is particularly oriented around these two pursuits. If you go into the world with open eyes and you are paying attention even a little bit, we have a, a culture that is Is obsessed with having fun, with accumulating nice stuff, having nice experiences, and the pleasure of that is the thing that occupies much of our time. And we we should pay attention to the fact that it is a a king who is looking out and, and looking at the world because, in a lot of ways, you and I. Live like royalty. Now, you may be saying, My checkbook does not particularly reflect that claim, but if you have a checkbook, you are outdoing the rest of the world by some distance. You and I have the leisure to actually try to have nice things like comforts and trips and experiences and all this stuff, and much of the rest of the world is saying, I hope I eat for the rest of the week at least once a day would be great i hope that i can get enough clean water into my house without breaking my back while hauling it for miles away you and i live like kings and queens so you can't read it and say well look uh, he's, he is a king. If I just was able to somehow also obtain to even like more kingness, then I could outdo him. The point is, he has everything at his disposal and he cannot please himself enough. And we see this reflected in the world that we live in. We live in a culture that is oriented around the pursuit and the protection of personal pleasure above everything else. In fact, we meditate on this life principle. All the time, the vast majority of people in this room, in this valley, will spend every moment of boredom looking at some device or piece of entertainment that is going to have you meditating on pleasures that you do not have. The entirety of social media is built upon showing us non-stop ad infinitum Things that we do not have that we might crave those things. There is a reason why those venues are so powerful. And this is not a young person problem. The the data is pretty clear that anybody and everyone can and does get sucked into a current that is social media. That if you engage in this at all, there are machines... Instructed by brilliant people primarily around the principle of what will make you the most unhappy we will show you that thing over and over and over again you think you are seeing what makes you happy but the truth is it's the unhappiness that brings you back again and again All of Instagram is a gallery of the pleasures of people's life. There are no boring photos in Instagram. I know that people do the hashtag real life and they just try to show you an empty room sometime, but that's like once. The next, next picture is a picture of a fantastic meal. Nobody takes the picture of the barely assembled children's meal with you know what you had around the house for dinner, and then the mediocre bowl of cereal the next day, and then the drive to work with some level of traffic. The next moment, it's never the boringness of people's life that people are putting on display. It is the peaks. It is the pleasures that people constantly broadcast to the world, and it makes you and I who sit there and watch this stream of information and photos say, this is what life is, which is a lie. It is a lie. Nobody lives a life of uninterrupted pleasure that does not exist anywhere for anyone ever. And yet we spend hours and hours and hours of our own attention contributing to somebody else's profit so that we can meditate on the dissatisfaction of our lives. Hoping inside of that moment, if I could just have enough Instagram-worthy meals, if I could just go on enough peak Vacations, if I could just acquire for myself enough friends, the right kind of family, the right job, then I would have enough pleasure in my life to finally not be who I really am right now, which is profoundly disappointed. We willingly contribute to this life all the time, and then we Access, give access to those things to our small children with undeveloped brains and we step back and we say, I can't believe that all the kids are so anxious and depressed. Anxiety and depression are what that thing is meant to make. Of course, a tiny brain an undeveloped child is profoundly damaged by that. It is the damage that we are all collectively experiencing as we expend the energies of our heart, longing for pleasures unending. Your life and mine and Kohellas is a testimony to the truth. That life does not exist. And if you could leverage all the wealth of a kingdom for only your own personal pleasure, you would still wind up in the same place as this philosopher came. It is all a breath, flying away into nothingness. What is the point? And so many of us have experienced this and have twinned this pursuit of pleasure and comfort, nice things, nice experiences, nice people, and we have twinned it with the pursuit of vocation. We even sell the dream of vocation to our children in this language. You need to go to school. You need to find your passion to do. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life Hope you find a job, that you find in your work the most meaningful expression of everything that you could possibly hope to be in this world. And we set people up to say, you will find the thing that you're looking for. Maybe you won't find it in all the nice things that you have or nice things that you do, but if you can go from 9 to 5 at a place that you love and earn a salary, you will be the happiest person in the world. And it's a lie. Not only is it a lie, but we incapacitated numbers of people, generations that have come after who believe that they have right to be depressed and, and hopeless because they have to go earn a paycheck at a job that is not their particular passion. So that we live around people who have access to, to wealth and to to bill paying jobs and people are walking around so sad because this thing that pays their bills is not telling them the thing that they long to be told not finding for them the meaning that they are craving And you people who who have a job like I do, that I love, that is in line with my passion, in my training, in my experience, you and I find that if you work hard enough and you work well enough and enough people pat you on the back and you find excitement and fulfillment in the task of your job, if you just work more, you can have more of that experience. So you just ultimately end up in a perpetual motion of working. Because you train with your job this sense of fulfillment, this sense of validation of who you are, and in it, itself a drug. It is an addictive thing, so you plug yourself into that work day after day, hour after hour, without rest. And you proclaim yourself the whole time, I am profoundly happy. Because this job is doing for me the thing that I wanted to do. I am meaningful. I am valid. I am fulfilled because of the quantity and the quality of my work. And you and I need especially to hear Kohelet say all of your work is going away. You are building nothing, it is going to be wiped away by the sands of time. So what really are you doing? What is the toil of your hands for? We human beings are oriented this way to find real good and to enslave ourselves into the pursuit of those things. And the real scary thing is, I wish I could say, deep down, everybody knows this life is unsatisfactory and unfulfilling. But there are a great many people, probably many of whom are in this room, who are saying, I'm actually great. Thank you. I, I'm, the whole pleasures and comforts of this world thing, that's kind of working out for me. I am having an Instagram-worthy life, not all the time, but enough. I do have a great job, that I find fulfilling. And I'm, I'm pretty happy working 70, 80, 90 hours of work at an infinitum for the rest of my life. That sounds great to me, actually. I feel no gnawing hunger and the center of my soul. Nothing like that. This is working for me. That is not a sign that you are okay. It is a sign that you are deeply, deeply messed up. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Judgmentally, I'm saying as one of the messed up ones. At some point, if you build your whole life around these pleasures, the pursuit of pleasure and comfort, the pursuit of work as a means to validate who you are, at some point it will collapse. The fruitlessness of what you are doing will consume you. I will, I will never forget watching the interview with Tom Brady after like Super Bowl number three or four, halfway to whatever he is at now. You know, this ridiculously annoyingly handsome, successful, fit human being who has done more than it is possible for any other regular or even superior human being to do. After winning another Super Bowl, Saying to the interviewer, I can't help but wonder if this is all there is. And this insatiable meat drives him to pursue Super Bowl four, five, six, 7. It makes him very productive. It makes him very successful. And yet, if you cannot be that guy and find all of your meaning and happiness, what chance does a schmuck like me have? I will never be that guy. And the answer is, I have no chance. You have no chance. When you live life under the sun. Remember, Kellett looks at everything under the sun and says, I've looked at everything. Seeing that everything is flying away like labor. I, I found nothing with any sort of concrete meaning. And at the very end of this chapter, you start to hear the answer to his objection and concern. This is the first time you hear God in the book of Ecclesiastes. What he says, is, he says that all the pleasures that you have available, available to you, all the toil that you have assigned to you, comes from the hand of God. If you and I live for pleasure and for work with a closed dome over the heavens, if we live under the sun and under the sun only, then finding meaning In pleasure and in work will destroy you. It will consume you. And you will never have enough. You will always need more. You will always need more pleasure. You will always need more relief and comfort in your work. You will always be an anxious, disrupted person somewhere in your being because you are living under the sun and life under the sun will kill you. As it has every other human being ever. And yet, into this life walks the most profoundly happy, contented person that has ever lived. Jesus of Nazareth can listen to the poor, troubled souls of all the people around him, his closest friends, and tell them, you have no reason be anxious about anything. He comes from over the sun to a world under the sun and says, look, not at your own possessions, to be unafraid. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Are they not all provided for? one who's enthroned above the sun has cared for every single one of them, will he not care for you? He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. When things are turned right side up, the pleasures of this world are allowed to be what they are, gifts. A nice glass of wine, a time with your friends, good possessions, building beautiful things, work well done. These things are meant to be to you and me, gifts. Gifts so that you and I will receive them and know that you are loved by the God who made all things. And when you can receive those simple and good pleasures of this life and hear that word from Him, you are not bound to those things that you and I naturally need, make, make, give us all the meaning that we crave. Those gifts cannot do that thing. The pleasures of this life cannot fulfill the deepest longings of your soul. It cannot give you meaning. Your work, well done and well praised and well enjoyed, cannot tell you who you really are you can enjoy those things and celebrate those things as a creature under the hand of a God who gives himself the name Father so that you might know that you are his, made for him, and to be in relationship with him. And when things are in that right order, suddenly the world is filled with pleasures that the smallest things are not meaningless and, not, and they're not insufficient because they're not on Instagram, they become rich signs of God's presence and love with and for you. In our Westminster Catechism, the first question, what, what is the highest, what is the primary purpose of being a human? And the answer is that we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him fully forever. That is what humanity was made for. And when we are operating under that umbrella, when we are oriented rightly towards the God who made everything over and under the sun, and we are seeing Him through who He really is, reflecting that character into the world, we are made for enjoyment We were made for pleasure. It is just not the pleasure that you can purchase from any vendor. We were made for pleasure, but it is not the pleasure that you can make with your own hands. We were made for pleasure and for happiness, but it is pleasure and happiness that flows from the center of life in the whole universe. It is God Himself. We were made for pleasure. We were made for a life, a vocation, of work and enjoyment. We were fashioned and put in Eden in a place where we enjoyed the labor because we we labored with the God who walked in the garden with us. And if you are living your life now trying to get the trappings of Eden, the delicious fruit, the the enjoyable job, but you you envision an Eden with no God in the garden, you will find yourself profoundly dissatisfied and led astray. You will be crushed and imprisoned because there is no Eden without the garden. There is no life of fulfillment and pleasure and happiness, ultimately, without the God who made you for Him. And Jesus does not come into this story to just whisper the vague hopes of a life free from anxiety. He instead comes in into the garden mess of our own making to a people obsessed with pleasure and vocational satisfaction and says do all your worst work to me and on the cross Jesus receives all of the fruit the terrible fruit of our enslavement and plants for himself in the world a better tree a tree that has sufficient fruit and pleasure forever. Because he triumphs in his own death and resurrection over the very thing that would rip the hope from our chests. If you are here today and you are realizing you're a Christian, you come to church whatever you believe the right things, but you are living a life that is in discipleship to the ways and systems of this world that you are being dictated and driven by this pursuit of pleasure and this quest in your work to fill yourself with the meaning that you long for and you realize that very subtly and slowly you've been pursuing an alternate ends. God has been gracious to you today and has come to you and said you were not made for this. This will never make you happy. It will never work. Leave it aside and come to me. And if you if you are wracked by shame and by guilt by that, how me of all people? I'm a Christian. I should know better, M- my friend. You were always this kind of person. You were always the kind of person that God that you forget God and choose things to substitute for Him. He's always known that about you. You've not surprised You may surprise yourself, but you've not surprised him. And you, he loves. Right now. So when you repent, you are coming home to a father who delights to accept you. And if you are here today, and you are saying, I've never done this Christian thing, I've never done this Jesus thing. I I have lived my life in pursuit of pleasure, in pursuit of vocational fulfillment, and I've done it entirely apart from any idea of a God who looks like this. That today, this God has presented himself to you. That you would be delivered. That you would be rescued out of what will surely kill you. You are being told the end from the beginning. This way lies death. Do not go that way any longer. But instead, come home. You and I, may long for an Eden, Eden that we seek to find in many places. But God has a place even better for his people. It is not only in the cool of the night that God intends to visit with His people, but one day, to live face-to-face with them at all times, so that there is no need for sun or moon any longer, but that all might live in the light of His face. What God has for you is the deep happiness of living with Him. Leave aside your quest forever. Instead, be received by him and held, so that you may finally, finally have your rest. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your persistent love. God, we thank you for your gracious love. God, we confess to you that we, like every other piece of humanity forever and ever, I sought to sub in a lot of things instead of loving and serving you. We are people with short memories. God, we have forgotten time and again what you have done for us, though we've been shown and told otherwise. We seek to prove this out all the time. Our hearts have wandered. As we, saw already today, we are prone to wander. And yet here you are. Father, I pray that you would help those of us who realize that we have departed onto our own way and path, searching and making meaning elsewhere. And God, we have, we've done that at times with your name on our head, some of us would never having loved and trusted you. This very human thing of searching for happiness, pleasure, and meaning, Anywhere but you. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that by your Holy Spirit you would convict us of what this is, which is sin, and that we would instead of digging deeper into our sin, God, let us turn and find our great joy in you. Father, open our eyes. Open our hands that we might see and receive all that you've done. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your faithfulness. That life is not confined to this world under the sun, but is instead filled with the hope of your own life. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.